going to send his Holy Spirit to them, but he also tells them that they have each other to help and encourage and strengthen each other. That is the purpose of the church. When Jesus Christ ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit was to establish the church and indwell within the hearts and lives of those who are believers. So when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, here are are, uh, six things that the Holy Spirit um, performs for us today. Number one, he indwells us. In John 14, 17, the promise is that the Holy Spirit who is with you will not only be with you, but he will then, he will now be in you. So we know in the New Testament age that when a person gets saved, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. God's Spirit lives inside of every single believer. And because of that reality, the Holy Spirit secures us. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 said that we are secure by the Holy Spirit until the day of Christ. John 14, 26 tells us the Holy Spirit teaches us. John 14 through 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Um, the Greek word here is parakletos, and it just simply means someone who comes alongside. It's the idea of it is, is, to, is to call someone to come alongside and to walk with you. And we, we could think of it in the idea of discipleship. When the, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he is, a, he is a friend, he is a companion, he is a helper that comes alongside of us to get us through those things that we need each day. In the same way, we are that to each other as a church. We are here to help each other. We are here to come alongside of each other. This Greek word is translated in the English Bible as helper. He says, I will not leave you helpless, but I will send you a, a helper. He says in the same context that he's our comforter. And then in 1 John, the word is used to describe an advocate, and one who comes alongside and, and speaks for us, speaks uh, on our behalf, an attorney, a lawyer, if you will. He is there to advocate for us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. He empowers us. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and you know all nine of them. The Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish those things that God calls us to do. And God, God, God is working in us and God is working through us to glorify him and he empowers us or accomplishes through us those things that he requires of us. So he is empowering us to do what he has called us to do. This is what we know of as, as grace. Now, grace is not only unmerited favor, but grace is also unmerited ability. Uh, I, I find it interesting that in each one of Paul's letters, he begins with grace and he ends with grace. And in the middle, he has all of these instructions. And what Paul understands is that in order for you to carry out the instructions that are packed into these books that I'm writing to you, you're going to have to be empowered by grace. Grace is what's going to enable you to get these things done. One of the best verses on this is 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, where Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, but God's grace towards me was not in vain because I labored more, I labored harder than anyone else. But the labor that I did was the grace of God in me. So ultimately what Paul understood was that he had God's grace that enabled him to labor, but the labor that he did was also the grace of God. In the beginning and the end, Paul realized that it was God who was working through him. Paul was 
pleading with God for grace to accomplish, and Paul was thankful to God for the grace that did accomplish. Ultimately, everything that happened in Paul's life, he attributed it to the grace of God, which is something that we also all ought to do. Anything good that comes from us is God's grace and God's spirit within us. A.W. Tozer once said, whatever I say from the pulpit that's bad is me, and whatever I say from the pulpit that's good, it's the Lord. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Everything that we do in life that is bad is us, and everything that we do in life that is good is the Lord. And the Christian life is all about finding that place where we have died to ourselves And now the spirit of God can live freely through us. When we become invisible, if you will, and Christ becomes very visible. The more visible we are, the less visible, the less visible he is. And the less visible we are, the more visible he is. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. So life is not about being seen or heard or being right. Life is about the Lord being seen, the Lord being heard, the Lord being right in and through us. The last thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is he equips us. He equips us with a spiritual gift. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and he has brought with him a special gift for you to utilize um, for the work of his kingdom. This gift is the glue that brings the church together. We see at the end of this passage that once all of the people in the body are working together, uh, they're, they're functioning together, it talks about that they, um, they are grow to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that they're no longer tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine, but they're Um, speaking the truth in love, they might grow up into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The joints, the marrow, the the joints of the body are a picture of these spiritual gifts. They're they're the part of us that that holds us together. In, In other words, if we're not functioning together and working together to accomplish God's purposes for us as a whole. You, you have an arm over here and a leg over here, and it's not together. So God gives us these gifts, these necessities for each other. And within these gifts, this is how we're held together. This is what keeps us functioning as a, as a unit. It's, it's anything that you have, even from a world's perspective. The world has, a, a, a company has, has a hierarchy. They have people gifted in different ways. And if all of those people function within their given giftedness, that company is very successful. If everybody within that company says, well, I don't need you, and I don't need you, and I don't need you, I'm just going to do my own thing, that company can be very dysfunctional. And the church is very much the same way. God has given us these spiritual gifts. He's equipped us with these gifts for the purpose of advancing his kingdom and for the purpose of advancing his church. Okay? 
A few things that we see here, and we're just going to unpack this text this morning. A few things that we see, first of all, is that these gifts are given to individuals, and those individuals are given to the church. Okay, so you're given a certain gift, and then once you receive that gift, you are then planted in a ministry, in a church, in which your gift should be utilized. Okay, so the gift is given to you as an individual, and then you become a gift to the church. So we treasure you. We value you. We count you as very important because you have been gifted to this church by God with a spiritual gift that can be used for the, for the unity of the body, for the purpose of carrying out God's purposes in the world. So every individual is blessed with a spiritual gift, and every individual is planted in a church where they should be utilizing their spiritual gift. The church, is, the church ought not to be a place where the, where, the, where the church staff carries out all the responsibilities of the church. Okay, that's not the purpose of the church. The church has been organized and structured that everybody in the church utilizes their giftedness to carry forth, to move forward the body of Christ. That's what it's been, that's how it's been structured and put together by God. So that he can be glorified and everybody that's in the body can be useful. And this makes everybody equally significant and everybody equally important. Everybody in the church, according to verse number 12 of this passage, should be doing one of three things in the church. They should either be discovering their gift as a new convert, they should be developing their gift as an active member, or they should be discipling others with their gift as a discipling leader. Everybody in the church should be in one of these three places. They're either the perfecting of the saints, they're finding their gift, they are doing the work of the ministry, they're developing their gift, or they're edifying the body of Christ, they're helping other people with their gift. And you have to ask yourself this morning, where am I at? Where do I fit at in this process? Am I one that is finding my gift, or am I one that should be actively using my gift? I've been saved for a season now. I know the Lord. I know what I should be doing. Am I actively using my gift for the Lord's glory? Or am I one that's been saved for many, many years, and I have grown to, to embrace my gift and to know what God has for me, and now I'm to the point where, I'm should, where I should be discipling other people with their gift? These are the three things that should be happening in the church body. This is how the gifts work. Now, specifically this morning, this context of Scripture deals with, the, with spiritual leadership gifts. Okay, These are leaders in the church, those who have been given leadership gifts. And they're, and they're not any more important or any less important than all of the gifts, the rest of the gifts, but God, God gifts people some people in the body with, the, with the, a gift and ability to lead within the categories of gifting. Does that make sense? Okay. If you have somebody, and I'm going to just use layman human terms this morning, okay? If, if you have a, 
engineer who is a good engineer but hasn't been gifted with leadership, somebody has to be gifted with leadership to lead over them, to give them direction or whatever. They, they're, they're a good engineer, but they haven't been gifted with a certain gifting of leadership. And so God, in, the, God in, his, in his structure of the church has organized it in such a way that you have people who are gifted with evangelism, you have pe- people who are gifted with mercy, you have people who are gifted with giving, you have people who are, are gifted with a number of different gifts in the scriptures. And then in this context, you have people who are gifted with leadership talents or leadership gifts to oversee those categories, so let's say that you're one who's at Grace Bible Church and you're gifted with evangelism. You just love evangelism. You want to outreach to the world around us. Your, your heart and your passion and everything is just to outreach to the world around you, but you don't really know how to do it. You don't really know where the outlets are. And so what God does is God gives somebody in the church the gift of leading that category, of leading those gifts. So you say, okay, I have a passion for leadership I have a passion for evangelism, so where do I do? And there's somebody there that you can go to that has that gift. Here's what happens in most churches. In most churches, you have people that are gifted with this gift over here going to the leader that is gifted with this gift over here who has no clue about this gift over here. And it becomes very frustrating because it's not a lot of direction being able to be had because the gifts are different. There is gifts of leadership that are given to oversee and give direction of gifts of responsibilities or those who are not gifted in that area of leadership. This passage of scripture is dealing with those leadership gifts. Okay, so I want you to think about it from that perspective. These are leadership gifts. So a few things, if you're taking notes. The assigning of spiritually gifted leaders Number one, the assigning of spiritual gifted leaders. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul says in verse number 11, in verse number, I'm going to just start in verse 11, but if you'll you'll go back a little bit, it refers to Jesus uh, descending and ascending, and then it says, and he gave, okay, who's the he there? Who's the he? Jesus Christ is the he. So Jesus Christ is the one who is doing the assigning. Jesus Christ is the one who is doing the placing of these spiritually gifted leaders in the church. He is gifting them to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, God has appointed to the church or in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and it goes on to list other spiritual gifts as well. So what we want to remember about the spiritually gifted leaders in the church, number one, is that they are gifts. They are are gifts from God. They are things that we should be thankful for. They are things that we should value. They are things that we should treasure. They are gifts to us. They're here. They're there um, to help us, to guide us, to Uh, instruct us. They're they're here to do a lot of different things, but we want to always identify them as special gifts from God and and respect them in that way. Now, I I understand that there are abusive leaders. I'm not not denying that as a reality. Um, I am saying this, that 
God has the ability to remove leaders as much as he has the ability to place leaders, right? Amen. I'm glad to hear that there was some agreement with that. God has the ability to remove leaders as much as he has the ability to replace leaders. God also has the ability to change a leader's heart and point them in a different direction. God has the ability to take a leader that's going this way and turn them this way and and have them repent and become a great leader. God has the ability to do these things, but we, we must remember as a sovereignty of God church that leaders are put into place by God. That's got to be foundational to how we function. They are gifts from God for a purpose. We can go to the Old Testament and we see that well laid out. They are gifts and they are from Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ placed them there. The Apostle Paul says it this way. In Romans 1 and verse 1, he refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ to the church. In 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about being an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church. In 2 Corinthians 1, he refers to himself as being an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church. Ephesians 1, he's referred to as an apostle by the will of God to the church. In other words, what Paul understood was that his authority came from God and that it was the will of God that put him in the position that he was in and that he was being a minister to the church. Every or almost every one of of Paul's letters begins with this mindset of Paul recognizing that his authority comes from God. And he has been gifted to the church to carry out God's purpose in furthering the work of the kingdom. Galatians 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then Matthew 9, 37 through 38, then Jesus said to his disciples, the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Who do we pray to if we want laborers, if we want workers, if we want leaders? We pray to the God of laborers. We pray to the God of leaders, the one who places people in positions and roles of leadership. So who assigns leaders in the church? Who, who gives those spiritual gifts to leaders and then plants them or places them in a body of believers for the purpose of ministering to them? God does. Okay, God does that. Number two, the assortment of, spiritual gifted, of spiritually gifted leaders. And we see it in verse number 11. The Bible says, and he gave, um, and the uh, other versions say, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some teachers and some shepherds for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I want to spend a few minutes on this, um, on this f- verse here. Um, there are a lot of different positions on these verses. Some look at this assortment. There's five things listed here in this passage of Scripture. Some look at these as dispensations. Uh, the dispensation of the prophets in the Old Testament and the 
uh, apostles in the New Testament, then you have uh, evangelists, then you have uh, teachers and pastors, or pastors and teachers. So some look at this assortment as dispensations that God gave. At, at one point, God gives apostles. At another point, he gives prophets. At another point, he gives um, evangelists and so forth and so on to accomplish the work of his ministry. The other view is, is that these are progressions, that it is apostles first, then prophets, then evangelists, then pastors, then teachers. And so, therefore, what we have in our day and age, uh, 21st century American church, is we have pastors and teachers, and that's all we have. So that's two ways of viewing this text, and, um, and, and I would say this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to strip the ones who teach this of their authority, because I think that they, these two views are appropriate. Um, they're, they're, they're not my view, and I'm going to share with you what my view is of these, of these five things, but, but, but solid godly men have these views, that this is a progression, um, and I would say the reason why I don't believe it as a progression is because it doesn't progress properly, because obviously uh, apostles were not before prophets, um, so I don't see that as being the proper progression. And then for them to be dispensations, again, you don't have the proper order of dispensations because the apostles came in the New Testament referring to the 12 apostles while the prophets obviously were in the Old Testament. Here's how I interpret these, this verse of Scripture, that these are types of leadership within the church. We, we must remember that this is written to the New Testament church, the church at Ephesus. It's written directly to the church. So to strip these things out because something about our understanding of a system doesn't fit is not fair. We have to be honest with this text of Scripture. This is written to the church. We have to be able to deal with it as being written to the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. What I want to share with you is what this looks like in the church body. What is God stating? What is the apostle a representation of? What is the prophet a representation of? What does the evangelist or the evangel represent in the New Testament church? And then we get these five things in place, and I believe that this is a description of a healthy New Testament church. So what five types of leaders do we need in the New Testament church to be a healthy, solid church? Number one is we need apostles. The apostles, the Greek word is apostolos, and it means a messenger or one who is sent forth with orders. It describes the 12 apostles. It was also used to describe Bar Barnabas and Timothy. And it always refers to this group of men who were sent out to establish or to build the church. The, the idea of this word is, is that these were builders. They were the people who built something. They were the ones who were able to take something that was very small and they were able to build on it and build on it and build on it. And the, the apostles did that. They went from place to place, establishing churches, building the kingdom or building the church. We need 
builders or apostles, those who are gifted with this gift of building the church or church planting, we need that in the church today. We need builders in the church today. We need builders to oversee ministries in the church today, to build those ministries, to start those ministries from scratch the same way that the apostles did, and to build those ministries. This is a gifting that is given to the church. Number two is we have the prophet. And again, there's a lot of argument about prophets for this day. And there's a lot of good argument about it. I would tell you that one of the biggest, one of the biggest debate passages of Scripture about the gift of tongues, people who think prophecy is not for our day will use that text to refute tongues, but they won't refute prophecy, which is in that same passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I would rather you do what? I would rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. And we say to that text, well, tongues are not for the New Testament church because look at that passage of Scripture. I agree with that. But I'm not going to say at the same time that prophecy is not for the New Testament church because it's right there. What is he saying? There's a difference. Remember this. The definition of, of prophesying or prophecy is to speak forth the oracles of God. What we see biblically is that when, in the Bible times, because they did not, we did not have the finished word of God, God spoke directly to people, and then they communicated the word of God. In the New Testament, God speaks directly to people through the word of God, and they do what? And they communicate the message that God gave them through the word. It's no different we're not, we're not depending on, in the Old Testament, they weren't depending on man's abilities. They were depending on God's voice speaking to those specific man, men. And there were ways to judge or determine whether or not that was an accurate prophecy. Right? We have the word of God. That's why the Bible says in Acts 17 and verse 11 that when the apostles preached to the people, the Bereans were more faithful than anybody else because they went home and did what? They verified it by the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, the Bible says, do not despise prophecies, but, but confirm them. So the issue is not the idea of prophecy being the foretelling of God's word. It's the foretelling of God's word. It's not the idea of, again, many people have the, the, con, the concept that it, it is telling the future. Some of that happens. When we read the book of Revelation, we're prophesying the future, are we not? Are we? Do we not look into God's word to find out what the future says? So we've got to understand that there's a place, there's a gifting. I believe that prophecy is the gift of discernment for the church. It is, it is men who are gifted with the ability to discern things. They're able to look at the culture, they're able to look at the church, they're able to look at the kingdom, and they're able to put things together and the, and the word of God, they're able to put things together and compare them to the word of God, and they're, and they're able to, to understand it better than other people are able to understand it. There are, there are 
prophecy ministries out there of men who, who have a, a great gift of looking into God's word in the book of Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelations, and they're able to, to pull out things about what's going to happen in the future that, that we naturally cannot understand. This is, these discerning people are necessary for the church to function. These are discerners, is what I like to call them, discerners. Those who are able to discern the truth. Not, not these, those who are able to hear God's voice outside of the word of God, but those who are able to discern what God's word says and then teach it. That's what I do. That's what my calling is. It is, a, it is to to tell forth what God has told us already in his word. So we don't have to look at prophecy, the gift of prophecy for the church, in the same way that the gift of prophecy was in the Old Testament where, they, where God spoke directly to them. We look, at it, we look at it from the perspective of those who are gifted with the ability to discern what the scripture says and to communicate it. Is this, listen... Is this as much the word of God as if he spoke with his voice? Is it? Okay. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Sometimes we minimize it. Somehow the Old Testament people had something better than we do. Did they? Because they heard God's voice, was that better than what we have right here? This is God's word. Gift of, of apostleship builders. Gift of prophecy discerners in the church. Gift of evangel is evangelist in the church, right? The leadership of evangelism. Somebody in the church has to be gifted with the ability to not just evangelize, but to lead in evangelism. Paul told Timothy in, first, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5 to do the work of an evangelist. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Lord gives us the commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. There are people that are in this body right here, Grace Bible Church, that are passionate about evangelism. And they're gifted with the special ability to communicate with people and to, and to share the gospel with people. They're gifted in that way. But here's what the Apostle Paul says, there has to be a leader. This is a leader gift. The gift of evangelism is something that you need a leader so that the people who don't know how to lead have someone to follow in that direction. It's the gift of evangelism. The gift of, the gift of outreach. And the Greek word here just means somebody who is the herald, heralder of good news who shares the gospel. The fourth gift that's given to the church from a leadership perspective is that of pastor or shepherd the Greek word here just simply means a caregiver. Somebody who is able to come alongside of somebody to, to care for them, to put their arm around them and to walk them through. This is a, a, a real discipleship kind of a gift. Somebody who has that one-on-one that -on -one ability with somebody. These are the ones who are uh, uh, the pastors, or again, the other word for this is shepherd. They're able to shepherd the flock of God. There's a, a certain gifting of, of mercy and grace here. You've ever had somebody that they just, they just had an ear, right? 
You could talk to them and you could share whatever you want and they would just listen and they would just, they would just care for you and walk you through it. This is a, a spiritual leadership gift in the church. It's the gift of a caregiver or of a, of a pastor. Paul, Paul, or Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 1 that we're to shepherd the flock of God. It means we're to, we're to pastor, we're to, we're to care for them. Here's, here's, here's one of the dangers that I see that's happening in the church today. You have, you have pastors in the church and then, you have, and then you have prophets in the church. You have those who are discerners and they just say it like it is. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Anybody ever met somebody that just said it like it was and it didn't matter how it felt to you at all? It was painful as it could be, right? And then you have those who are pastors that are shepherds that are able to say things with this soft little, you know, they put pillows around it and it's warm and fuzzy and it just sounds just exactly right. Maybe even said the same thing, but just said it in a different way. Now listen, listen to me. This is so important. These are both necessary for the body to be healthy. This is what's missing in the church. The church today wants all of these soft pastoral kind, but they don't want somebody that will just tell it like it is. And then people who are soft and kind, they just like, oh, oh, I gotta say it like it is. So then they try to have this gift over here or they try to have this gift over here and they're really bad at it, right? Because it's not their gift, but they try to do it because somebody's got to do it. And it usually, it, you know, crash and burns, Right? What we need, folks, is we need to understand that in the church body, there are different gifts of leaders. There are people who are shepherding gifts. They have the ability to mercifully walk people through difficulties in life. And then there are people that are just going to tell you like it is, and they don't really care how you feel. And you know something? Both of these people are going to make you a healthy believer. They're both going to make you a healthy believer. We want to embrace the one that we like or the one that is most like us. And God says, no, you need this one over here too. We need all of these leaders in the body of Christ so that we can be a well-rounded body. And then the last is this instructor. A teacher is the word here. And the word just means an instructor, one who, who gives instruction um, it's somebody who teaches, and they're good at teaching. And it's a gift that God gives, and we need teachers in the church. What's important is, is that to understand that in this, in this body of believers, in this church, there are different types of leaders necessary if we're going to be healthy as a church, and that each one of them might not fit with our personality We might not like each gift that's in the church leadership, but they're there for God's, by God's placement, and they're there for your good. I I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life, I remember my first, the first pastor that I ever worked under as an assistant, he told me this story, I'm gonna share it with you, just to give you a little picture. He He was the prophet type, he just said it like it was, right? So he had a pastor friend of his that got out of the ministry and just completely stopped going to church altogether. He just like, you know what? If I can't hear myself preach, then I'm not going to hear anybody preach, right? That's funny. 
So he just completely was like, I'm not going to go to church anymore. So then like a few years go by and he gets, my, my pastor gets a letter from this guy saying, will you recommend me for such and such a church? And you can imagine what my prophet pastor said to this man. And it wasn't kind. But he said, I'll never recommend you for a church until you realize the value of the church over the value of you. Did you know something? That man needed that. That's somebody who says it like it is. It doesn't feel good, does it? But that's a person that will change another man's life. That's a person that will change your life. And you know what happens? I, I, I've seen this more times than not in the church. The, past, the, the, shepherd, the, the prophet type, the prophet gifted one, will come to somebody and they'll just, they'll just lamb blast it. And then the shepherd will say, hey, you know what? Let's walk through this together. Let's disciple through this. Let's figure this thing out. Yes, what the, what the prophet said was so true and so accurate and so important, but, but maybe we can figure out a way to get through it with a little bit of mercy and grace. But you know something? Without that, without that, without that prophet personality, shepherds don't get an opportunity to walk through things with people. They're both necessary. And then you got the builders, those who are just ready to go. I know we got some people in our church like that right now, right here, just ready and excited and passionate about building. Not building a new building, but building a ministry. That's a gift that God has given to the church. And maybe it's a gift that God has given to you. Each type is equally important. Each one of these is equally important for the body to be healthy, for the entire body to be healthy. Each one of these is equally important. Has anybody in here ever been in a church that was, had a pastor? Let's just say it this way. There are a lot of churches in our culture that are just one pastor, right? We have three pastors here, but there's a lot of churches that are just one pastor. And you went to the church and you were gifted perhaps with the prophecy gift and you went to a church where the pastor was just totally uh, shepherd kind of soft and just kind of everything was padded with pillows and, and over time you just it wasn't, there wasn't a comfort there there was, a, there was a disconnect for the church to be balanced for the church to be healthy there has to be these gifting, giftings functioning together for the furtherance of the church and that's why the Lord calls us to having not just one elder in a church but to having a plurality of elders in the church and each one of those is important. So, first of all, this morning, the assignment of spiritual gifted leaders is done by God, and they are gifts to the church. Number two is the assortment of spiritual gifted leaders in the church. And this is in verse number 11, these five different things that are, are gifts to leaders to the church, as the Lord says here in the text. Number three is the aim of spiritually gifted leaders in the church. And I'm just going to relate the purpose of a leader in the church in relation to spiritual gifting. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to give you these things fairly quickly. Number one is to identify spiritual giftedness. Okay? The leaders of this church are there to identify people's spiritual giftedness. In Acts chapter number six, they were told to pick out men who were gifted, basically, in this certain way. We're here as leaders to identify those who are gifted in a certain way. 
Sometimes, um, sometimes other people's perspective of our gifting is more accurate than our perspective of our own gifting. Sometimes we identify our talent, but other people will identify our gifting. The church's job is the leader's job are to identify what your gifting is. Um, David was a man who, when it came time to identify gifting versus talent, he was the last one in the line. He was the one who was chosen by God. And the Lord says to him, don't look on the outward appearance, but look on the heart. That's what our job is. I've often found this in church leadership, that when somebody comes forward and wants to lead really, really bad, they end up being a really bad leader. But when somebody is sitting in the background and they're just leading and doing what they possibly can and the elders get together and they say, you know something, I really think Steve over here would make a really good elder or a really good leader, usually they turn out to be a really good one. And the reason is, is because godly men identified their gift. Our job as, as leaders in the church is to identify the gifts that God has given the people of the body, of, of our body here. Number two, endorse spiritual gifts. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in laying hands on, do not be hasty in laying on your hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The idea of it is, is when the, when the, when the um, uh, elders laid hands on somebody, it was a sign of endorsement. It was to say, we affirm you in this gifting. And specifically, it was in a spiritual leadership gifting. We're here to endorse your spiritual gift. We're here to encourage spiritual gifts. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6, 7, for this reason, I remind you to, flame, to fan into flame the gift of God. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, fan your gift into a flame. That was what Paul's job was to get Timothy to be passionate, excited about his spiritual gift. We need to be excited about our spiritual gift. Way more excited than we are about our talents, we should be excited about our spiritual gifts. I believe that we're in a generation of people that have found church to be a place to come and to sit and not to be actively involved, and therefore the excitement level of being a part of the church that you're not involved with pales in comparison to being a part of the world that you are involved with. Here's the solution. Get involved in the church. Use your spiritual gift for the glory of God. You can get excited about, about, about doing something, right? It's like when we watch our, our song leaders, our, our worship team leaders up here, they're excited about doing that, right, you guys? They're excited about doing that up here. <laughs> They get excited because they're doing something for the Lord. We're here to encourage that, to flame. We're here, you know, we're here to fan that flame of your spiritual gift. Encourage it so that it flames up and, man, excitement overflows. We're here to, lastly, we're here to oversee spiritual gifts. Leaders are here to oversee spiritual gifts. One of the things that you'll find in Scripture fairly consistently is the misuse of spiritual gifts. And the Lord calls the elders to, to help in that area, to oversee that. Again, um, 1 Peter 5, the Bible talks about to um, shepherd the flock of God by taking oversight over them. 
We're here to oversee those things so that those things don't, don't go astray or don't, don't become self-oriented or self-focused like 1 Corinthians 14 where the gift of tongues became very selfish. We're here to oversee that and we're here to help that. And remember this, if we're here helping you with your spiritual gift, giving you guidance on your spiritual gift and there's a rebuke there, you know, don't, don't take it and, and, and see it as a, a negative. Take it and see it as a positive. We're here to help. We're here to guide. We're here to work with you. We're not against you. We're, we're for you. I, I tell my kids that all the time. Guys, I am for you. I might not always tell you that you get to do everything that you want, but I am always for you, right? The elders at Grace Bible Church, they're always for you. They're always for you. And we have to, we have to oversee and work with and make sure spiritual gifts don't get mishandled or misappropriated. That's what we're here for. Let me give you lastly, uh, answering to spiritually gifted leaders. How do we answer this? If you're here today and you're not in a position of leadership in the church, what, what should be your uh, attitude towards spiritually gifted leaders? Fourfold. Number one, submission. Hebrews 13, 17. Number two is respect. Um, Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, to esteem them very highly. Hebrews 13, 7 says to consider them or to listen to them. Um, James tells us to be quick to hear and slow to speak type of a thing. Listen to the spiritual leaders in your church and then pray and then pray for them because they need that prayer. So as we journey into this, I just I really wanted this morning to lay a foundation or or an umbrella, if you will, on on these spiritual gifts. And as we move into them, that we would begin this journey. Each individual that's sitting here today would begin this journey of either finding, using, or helping others to find and use their gift. And um, God has put three guys in this church to accomplish that to work with you, and, uh, and maybe he has other men set in this congregation that he's going to use in that capacity in the future as well. I want us to understand this piece of it before we moved any further. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for um, the church, a place that we can come to to be encouraged and strengthened and utilized for the work of your kingdom and by your grace. We pray that you would uh, take the message of your word this morning and use it to challenge our hearts to begin the process, Lord, of finding, encouraging, uh, blessing um, these people and their spiritual gifts and utilizing those gifts for your glory. And please help us as we close the service to sing, lift our voices to you in praise. In Christ's name.